exciting episode of Coming to the Soul podcast. I am your host, Robin Fultman. We're every different guest to help you become the best version of yourself through different methods you may not have heard of or thought of. Today, I have my guest, Nadia Silvia on the show talking about personal colors and counseling. Well, let's get started. Thank you, Nadia, for being here. I really appreciate it. No, oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Can you tell me about your specialty and who do you like to work with? Well, my target area uh, and clients are the high school students and their parents, because I do believe it's a team effort, uh, that are college bound, meaning they want to go to college. It's not my job to make them go or change their mindset. But if you are interested in going on to higher education, um, then I work with them as soon as possible during high school to prep them. And I say that because I, I really am consciously trying to buck the trend that is the conventional wisdom that, oh, high school students don't need to start thinking about college till the end of junior year, blah, blah, blah. Well, you're missing the boat on a lot of things if you wait that long, including a lot of financial and merit aid, which is a huge thing for families to make that affordable. Or even if you think you can afford college and have it set up, that's great. But who wants to pay more than they need to for the same thing? That's to me just silly. Um, so I think it's super important to make sure that the students all the way through high school are setting the proper foundation. And from that foundation we build and we take those building blocks and we use them as tools to our advantage to start looking for that right fit school that has everything the student could want. And when I say that in right fit, I, I really mean three things. I mean, mm -hmm. academically, it has everything they could possibly be interested in. Two, it has the social environment that's conducive to them. So if they're involved in certain activities or have certain pursuits, make sure that stays in the mix. Nobody's studying 24 seven, seven days a week. Uh, and True. if you are, there's a problem. And then three, uh, economically, everybody's budget, every family has different economic needs. And there's a lot of opportunity out there. And a lot of people get scared off and don't even try for certain schools because the sticker price is quite shocking sometimes. But if you're in that right mix, there's aid to be had, uh, even if you don't qualify for financial aid. This is where the whole merit aid comes in and it's significant. And together they can be life-changing for certain families as well. So it's important to know that, but it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in you know, a couple of weeks. It, it does take planning and research and, and collaborating and getting yourself known by that school and, and making it work for you, so. You know, that's good to know because I did not know what the merit aid that you're talking about. I only know about like the financial aid and then there's scholarships and then there's grants. So yes. what is merit aid? Is that different? You've kind of hit on it, but they're in separate okay. categories. So when we talk about financial aid, mm -hmm. that's based on need as determined by the FAFSA form, which everybody needs to fill mm -hmm. up. A lot of mistakes that higher earning families make because they know they're not going to get financial aid is they don't fill out the FAFSA. And then most schools that grant 
merit aid, which is the scholarships, grants, and other things in that category, won't consider you for those if you haven't filled out the FAFSA to let them know you're disqualified from the financial aid part because there's only so much money in their pool to give away, right? So if they can satisfy someone with financial aid because they qualify for that, they might not have to pull from the same merit aid bucket. And again, it's not an endless resource. Every school has different uh, amounts and different calculations and who they determine. Some schools are fantastic for merit aid, but you have to have financial need to get it. So that's a different uh, orientation towards it. Um, while others are like, hey, the merit aid is really encourage that student to pick that school over somebody else. So they will entice you with, oh, you qualify for our President's Scholars Fund or whatever. I'll take it. I'll take any funds my students can get. But knowing who has what and how you fit uh, their parameters is important. Um, so yeah, and merit aid is not loan money. It's free money. So that's that's good to know because I did yeah. not know that. Because I don't like um, the most expensive college that I can think of is like Harvard. Harvard is technically one of the cheapest colleges to go to if you have financial need and you're super smart because they will give you money. The problem with the Ivy Leagues is getting in. The admittance rates are single digit, usually four, five, maybe nine percent, which means out of like 30,000 applicants, everyone should be qualified and yet they can only take five percent. And yet, why does everyone make that the standard? We have 4,000 schools in the United States that are accredited. I am sure I can find you a great school out of 4,000 that you're going to be challenged and do super well at that are still really great, but don't fit the Ivy necessarily. That's not to say I'm not going to shoot for the Ivies if you're qualified. It's all about setting realistic expectations and then going for the best one you can get. So I'm glad that you said the, the word accredited because so the college that I went to, the Hypnosis Motivation Institute out of Tarzana, California, they're the only accredited college of hypnotherapy in the entire U.S. And that's There's a very specific thing, right? Because that's like super laser focused. Um, yeah, when I'm talking, trying to figure out. Yeah, when I'm talking about colleges and universities, I'm talking about four year bachelor granting schools. That's my focus. That's where I'm I'm looking. Okay, yeah. So there would be that difference then. I just yeah, didn't know if there was a difference with accreditation versus not accredited. I wouldn't advise anyone to go to any program that's not accredited by whatever field or region they're supposed to be in. Because uh, then what's the value of that degree? So you went somewhere, it's accredited, it's acknowledged, it has uh, substance to what they're doing. When you go to a, somewhere that's not accredited, buyer beware, what are you doing there? Uh, there should be other options here. And those are the schools that you tend to see be for-profit institutions and things of that nature where we're, we're steering clear of any of that. <laughs> I feel better that you said that, that you said that because that was seriously like one of my questions because I was looking at a couple different colleges for hypnotherapy 
And I'm like, I kept wondering, like, what's the difference? And so it wasn't very clear until you just said that, even though I graduated how many years ago? And still, like, now it makes sense. Okay, now I know why I'm glad that I chose the college that I did versus the other one, because just yeah. knowing that has more of that credibility part of exactly. it. Exactly. It's a credibility. It's, it's been acknowledged. Yeah. It's had somebody review its programs and say, yeah, you're up to snuff on this topic or degree or whatever it is that they're doing. So, yes. And, and there's there's no lack of accredited, wonderful institutions all over the U.S. <laughs> well, no, there, there isn't. But, I mean, like, that was just like, for me, that was like my interested field because, you know, like um, a little bit before the show, I was telling you about how I went to a different college. I went to actually it was two different colleges now that I remember completely prior to the hypnosis one. And I just I kept failing. Well, not I shouldn't say fail because it was feedback that I wasn't ready or interested in those fields because the only one that I did do like the one semester successfully was for child care. Because I love to be able to help children. But where do you help in that field with the parents? Because you said that you don't start it before junior or sophomore. So that's typically oh, no. like I, you are. I like, want, that's like when they typically do it. No, it's, it's the opposite. I want to start earlier in high school. I would, I would love to start with all freshmen and have them that whole time. Um, but that would be ideal too. It would be ideal because one of the things that happens, and, and this has happened before already with a freshman that I did start with, really cute, smart kid, uh, athletic, uh, outgoing, getting straight A's. And I'm looking at her report card because we had already finished first semester. And so I ask, are you, are you struggling to get these straight A's in these classes? How come none of them are honors classes or AP classes? which means it's another level up, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just getting the best grade you can get. It's getting the best grade in the highest level you can be at. That's what translates to colleges, especially the harder they are to get into. They look at that. So I asked her that question. And the answer I got is because no one told me to. No one told you to. Oh, my God. So this happens all the time. These kids are being underserved. And here's what's really happening. If you have uh, a student that does well, is not in trouble, does not have home issues or other things going on, they meet with their counselor maybe five to 10 minutes a year, a year. So 40 whole minutes you're going to get if you're lucky. Uh, and generally what's going to happen is, oh, you're doing great. Here's your pre-printed schedule for next term. Pat on the back, next one in. And I'm not making that up. That is consistent. That is I have students in multiple states and it doesn't change. It doesn't change between public school or private school. If you're luckier, they might point you to a certain computer program that they're affiliated with and it's helpful. But here's my problem with that. Go on these sites and it's gonna be like, do you want a small school, a big school, an urban school, a suburban school? Uh, an urban school with a campus, a suburban school near a city, uh, a big school in the rural area, and so on and so forth. Now, that's like asking, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And you haven't had ice cream yet, so how do you know to look? I do you not. Wouldn't. You wouldn't. It's overwhelming. And that's not the way to search for a school. Neither is just going online or looking through brochures because 
damn straight they better be pretty pictures. You're paying a lot. So they all better look really good. That's not how you pick, <laughs> you know? No. <laughs> so I start with the metrics and with the individual student. What are you naturally geared to? Where do you do well? What, what jazzes you up as far as academics? And mind you that in high school, you have not had exposure to so many more things that are available at the college level. So you don't even know what you don't know yet. But the easiest way to think about it is you don't take a science STEM oriented student and put them in a program for English or history. No. Likewise, you don't take the very verbal articulate great writer and make them go to chemistry or biology where they're like, they're still brilliant, but they're like, this isn't their thing and they're not gonna do well. Or if they do well, it's gonna be like, oh my God, pulling teeth because they don't wanna be there. I'm not trying to create a square peg <laughs> out of a circle. <laughs> I want my kids to fit perfectly wherever they end up going because it's the perfect fit for them. The perfect school for one person has absolutely nothing to do with the price of tea in China for another student. It has no relevance whatsoever. They're not the same kids. They're not doing the same things. Some students thrive in that large rah-rah environment. Others are like, oh my God, they would be so lost and like not comfortable in their own skin yet they would thrive in a smaller environment where they stand out. And yet the kid who wants to go to the big school stuck in that little classroom would be like, oh my God, everyone's looking at me. I can't deal with this. <laughs> True. So there's no right or wrong answer. It's about what's the right answer for that student. And that's what we talk about and develop. And um, as I get to know them, I create a universe of schools for them to look at. And then going through that with them, collaboratively getting their input, their patterns and preferences start to evolve. But because we're looking at real things and then we scrunch that down to its essence and then we get to a manageable list where that's the target schools. That's where we're going to focus on visiting, getting interviews meeting coaches or admission staff or whoever it is that is important for us to get the student in front of. But you don't start there. That's the end product of the collaboration and research getting scrunched down to its essence. And that's why you need time to set the right foundation for what you're trying to give them. Because what the people miss, it's not just about what the student wants and say, hey, this is where I really want to go. Flip that. You want that school to give you money? Why would they want you to be there? What do you bring to the mix for them? When you have that synergy, that's when we can expect the best results. I like how you flip that, how you flip the usual script of why do you want me to be there? Versus exactly. we know the school's end result. Is because they get more money, but it's like, why? I think that'd be something that most parents would need to ask. I, I know that's a question that I've never asked. Well, let me give you a very simple example. 
Um, and this is because, I mean, I don't limit my students geographically in any way unless they tell me I will not travel beyond this imaginary border of this state or that one or whatever. Otherwise, the world is your oyster right now. Why would you limit yourself geographically? You can go anywhere in, in the world. Let, but let's stay in the U.S. That's my focus. But yeah. every school, for example, would love to say they have a diverse student body, right? Well, yeah. Okay. Well, what does that mean to that school? If you have a school where 90% of its students come from in-state or 80% or 75, whatever that number is, as soon as you're from a different location that's not their norm, you are already standing out. It's so simple because they already have a hundred of the other people that live down the street. They're all the same. <laughs> True. So look at everything as a tiebreaker. All things being equal. Oh, and I, I bring this little, if nothing else, this little diversity nugget to them just geographically. Well, okay, you get a second look because you're in South Dakota, you said? Yeah. I wonder how many students from Massachusetts go to a South Dakota school. Probably not a ton, but I guarantee you they're going to get a look if they apply, right? I'm um, sure they would, yeah. And that would resonate in the other direction as well. How many South Dakota students are going to Ohio, Texas? Or in my case, like California. I get that all the time. I'm like, how did you do that? I'm like, I did it online. But I still got this. Still got there the knowledge. Go. Still got it. You know, that's there I'm like, yeah, I didn't limit you myself. You found the path that worked for you. And that's the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm not here to force someone on this path. But if, if they choose to go down that road, I can get you better results than if you do it alone. And, and unfortunately, most of these high school kids are going it alone. They're getting very little support from the high school itself. Like I was going back to say, okay, so maybe they'll lead you to this website or they'll have a parent student night uh, sometime junior year, maybe early senior year. Okay. By then I'm, I'm set. We this time, of senior year, all our applications are out. This is not the time to start looking. This is the time to be done. I'm waiting for responses. I already have kids getting into different places with different scholarships. Um, so you need to be ahead of this curve if, again, if your priority is to match up really where you want to go so you can get in early action if available, or you really want to stand out and try to be in that pool where you you're going to be considered for the maximum amount of merit and financial aid because you need that to make the equation work. Okay. And that's important. And, and I guarantee you, your high school counselor does not know what each student's parents make, what their budget is, or where they're going to be comfortable sending it. Oh, their focus is, oh, take your SATs once, get the best score you can get. Oh, you have good grades, apply here. How does that work? That, 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 that to me is so uh, unfulfilling <laughs> on well, so I never, many levels. Well, you know, I've always wondered about, like the SATs and the ACTs because I never took either one. But I do remember that um, I would get bored in class. And the, this was before I switched because I, 
I would get bored in the classes when I was in ninth grade. I remember getting bored in them and they're like, well, what do you need? And I'm like, I need something else because I'm more higher thinking. So then um, they put me in the college prep reading and the college prep English literature. And then I excelled. But then like when you're talking like, then they decided, well, let's put her in the chemistry. And I'm like, oh, heck no. Yeah, it's not your thing. But I am proud that they did put me in the dumb math class. (laughs) That's what all of us called it. Because we're like, the teachers kept saying, it's not the dumb math class. And I'm like, okay, but why am I not in algebra? Why am I not in trigger? Because your brain's not wired that way. Right? Almost like in all of them. We got a little taste of each. Yeah, but you you have this is normal. Not everyone is equally left and right brain oriented. And the ones that are, I am amazed at. Um, so you can be in advanced placement classes in certain topics and just at regular college prep on others because that's not your jam, right? And that's totally fine. The key is to be in the best class that you can do the best in at every level. And And my mantra is I want my students to be the best students they can be, whatever that means for them, (laughs) right? They're not all the same. And I work with students that have stellar GPAs, like 3.9, 4.0, whatever's that are weighted to the students that, you know what? They're almost a B. They're like a 2.7 or 2.8. But you know what? There's a place for them too if they want it, and that's well, the whole, yeah. You but know, that's the and, whole point. It, it really, really is. You know, like each person, it's trying to find the right fit because it's like you can't. Sometimes I like to compare it to like a puzzle. Yes, like you can have all these different pieces, like like all the colors. Like the whole time I'm thinking about like all these different puzzle pieces, yes. and it's just like you seem like. You're the person that just like puts them right where they need to be at the exact time. But in the meantime, while they're going to call, while they're, go, while they're in high school, just start prepping them for that exact right fit. Yes, because there's so much that's happening at the high school level. Not only being in the right and proper classes, so I really want to be involved with them while they're picking their schools. Um, And I've run into this now multiple times, for example, on the foreign language requirement. If you're going to a liberal arts college, right, especially the more competitive ones, they want you to have three to four years of a foreign language. That doesn't jive necessarily with high school requirements where after two, you're good. They're they're happy. You you have met their requirements. You're going to graduate on time and whatever. I'm like, really? And you're thinking about X college down the road? That's not going to cut it. <laughs> but if I don't come into that kid's life till senior year, it's too late. You know, that. so they've missed potential opportunities just by the fact that they didn't take certain classes at certain times. You know, and that's a shame to me. Um, so you, you got to know that. You also got to know if, if you're totally like science, math, technology that's your jam. I mean, yay. When you, if you're going to apply to um, what I call STEM schools, and there's plenty of those out there, the scientific polytechs of the world, they're not going to give a flying fig what you got in Spanish. It's not going to factor in. They're going to recalculate your GPA based on all your science and math classes and see if you meet 
their requirements on how that score comes out. All right? That's that's good. Yes. Essays. Essays are super important. I want to have my essays done the summer before senior year because by the time my kids get to be first semester seniors, we're on autopilot. We are finalizing our lists, maybe doing second looks, and we're getting those things out. Everyone else is running around with their heads cut off. It's like crazy. I don't do crazy. I do methodical <laughs> plans. Like when I grew up. Strategy. Um, but let's be honest here. If you're applying to a mega large state university, and I'm talking about these schools that have 20, 25, 30,000 students, again, knock yourself out on the essay because it's required for the Common App. They're not going to read it. Don't worry. Do your best. Don't freak out over it. But when you're trying to stand out at a smaller school, yeah, they're going to read it. And it might be the difference between you and somebody else. So let's make it kick ass. Can I say that? Well, well yeah, that's fine. <laughs> like one of my questions too that I was thinking about is like, what's the difference between like the the trade school? Because the trade and like the vocational and like all these different schools. Because I know like there's more parents are saying, well, go to a trade school. There's nothing wrong with them. So There's like, what's considered a trade school? Well, in, in like the definition, is that like- you Yeah, that's a different thing. Like if, if you're gonna go on to a trade school, let's just say that mm -hmm. that's not my niche because mm -hmm. I'm talking about four year bachelor degree granting institutions. Trade schools are gonna make yeah. you a fantastic X. And that X may be a diesel mechanic, uh, I don't know, an electrician, uh, a super specialist in something super focused. And okay. there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If that's where you're focused, then you just go do that, right? True. Don't me. I'm, I'm not focused on those things. Um, I like to think of higher education as prepping you to be prepared as a thinker, and a doer in a field that you enjoy, right? Because here's what's gonna happen. Five years from now, 10 years from now, there's gonna be jobs that you and I didn't even know were a thing. Just like True. right now. 10 years ago, would someone have told you that you would be making money as an Instagram influencer? You'd be like, what the F is that, right? <laughs> <laughs> True. I'm it, like, tell me more things, about it. Yes, things are always evolving. And, you're not trying to create technocrats. You're trying to create innovators and people who can get a job and adapt with the changes that come in their career field. Because here's my definition of success. And the parents and I and the student all have to be on the same page for this. My definition of success for my college-bound students is you're going to get into a school that's great for you, obviously. You're going to do well and graduate on time in four years, not five, not five and a half, not the six year plan, four years in a row, <laughs> four years. You graduate on time, you get a job in an area or field that you actually enjoy. And three, you get to pay your own bills and come off mom and dad's payroll. That is my definition of success, <laughs> right? True. <laughs> and to get there, there's so many things that have to fall in line. And what I really, really want my families and my students to not do 
is overborrow. Some borrowing is fine. I have no problems with the kids taking on the guaranteed student loan every year, so they graduate with 20-something thousand in debt. I feel that is an appropriate amount to ask the student to contribute to their own education. The difference between that and the net cost is where the parents need to fill in the gap. And if that gap can only be filled in by borrowing for all of it, that school's too expensive for you. Okay? Because if you that graduate, yeah, if you graduate with the, let's say, six figures in debt for undergraduate, here's what happens. And this is where I see the flip as a, a bankruptcy attorney primarily. Uh, student loans are not dischargeable in bankruptcy. They're like taxes. Nope. Pretty much they're going to stay with you till you die. So you want to make them manageable because if you have too much student loan you come out, you can't get that car. If you don't have the car, you can't commute to a further job. If you can't get to a further job, you're stuck in your immediate location, probably living in mom and dad's basement. Um, and you have to make that that payment every month, it prohibits you from being able as a young person to take, take the risks sometimes that you need to take to get your career going. And it's inhibiting. Um, and I don't think you should be inhibited uh, professionally at that stage in your life. This is when you should be able to, all right, well, I, I have to move to take this job. Okay, I can do that because I'm going to be earning enough to pay my rent pay my student loans. Oh, and still live. I can buy food and uh, maybe have a pet cat or something. You, know? True. <laughs> you, you want them to become ideally independent individuals, you know, and you can't do that if you're overburdened with student loans. And this goes for the parents too. The parents are, are at a different curve in their life. They need to keep saving for retirement. Don't, don't raid your retirement funds to pay for your kid's college. They have their whole earning life ahead of them. You're on the other side of that equation. You need to keep that savings for yourself. So you've got to bridge True. that gap with what is comfortable for that family to do. Now, fortunately, most colleges will let you take that net cost. And when I say net cost, I mean total price, less money, less everything they're giving you to offset. You still need to come up with the difference unless you got a free ride. True. So that net cost, most places, I don't want to say all because that would mean 100%, and I don't think it's 100%, but most places, they'll let you pay that throughout the year. Traditionally, what you do with college is they send you the first semester, and oh, 25000 in September and another twenty five in January or whatever the number is, right? Mm-hmm. But let's say whatever that cost is, they can put you on a payment plan so you're paying something every month from September to April or something like that. And that can be very helpful too, so that it's not such a huge nut all at once. Um, but nonetheless, it doesn't change the math. It still needs to be a number that you can attain. Well, yeah, that's very helpful. So um, with everything that we've been talking about, so for when people want to be able to get in touch with you, because you said you do all over the 50 states, um, what is the best way for them to contact you with the time zone so the way they can really be able to get in touch with you and have this plan set up for their child? Well, here's how I do it. Um, you can go on my website, 
and send me a link through there, or you can uh, email me directly right on there, or my email is on that website, or call me. Uh, that's my direct number. If I can't pick it up at that time, just leave me a text or a voicemail, and we'll figure it out. Um, because again, I'm dealing with a young population. So 99% of my meetings, regardless of where they live, is going to be via Zoom. So, because they're not driving, <laughs> right? So, no. where they are. Uh, that's as far true. As time zones are concerned, you, you just adapt. Okay, if it's, that's nothing. <laughs> yeah, I just need to know what zone it is. <laughs> true. That's you true. know, so it doesn't affect me. And again, the students are going everywhere. So just because I'm in Massachusetts, my students are in, end up in different states. Or right now, for example, I have a student down in Texas, different time zone for me, by the way. But I'm aware of that. So I, I set it up so I know it's your time and my time. <laughs> right. So we're always talking same time. Um, but that doesn't mean she's going to stay in Texas when she goes to college. She might be east, west, somewhere in the middle. We don't know. We're, we're starting that process, you know. Um, and then there's others that say, I will not go beyond two hours from where I live. Okay. Well, we'll deal with that, then that's okay. I would not impose that on you, but if that is your self-imposed restriction, then so be it, <laughs> you know? Which, that makes sense. It, it's all about where they're comfortable, but I think they should push their comfort zone a little bit because that's part of growing up is, you know, get out of your little bubble a little bit. Yes, get out of that comfort zone because that's where the growth happens. Well, thank you so much, Patty. I really appreciate your time and energy and same for our listeners. So thank you for tuning in and catch you on the next one. Thanks. Thanks, Robin. Bye.